The Rock and Roll Coffee Show is brought to you by Writers and Rockers Coffee Company, keeping the music and memories alive with some damn good coffee. Visit them at writersandrockerscoffee.com. And Retroactive, located at Broadway at the Beach in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. 70s, 80s, 90s retro. Shopretroactive.com. Welcome back to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show. I am Joe Sebelia. Thanks for tuning in. My next guest is Dr. Steve Olivas. Now, Steve is not only a psychologist, but he is also the host of the Commute, Wrong and Wronger, and 10 Minutes to Save Your Marriage podcast. I definitely recommend you check those podcasts out. The Commute you can find on all streaming platforms. Wrong and Wronger you can find here on YouTube. Steve also recently purchased some land, so if you follow Steve on social media, You've seen all the little friends that he's met while he's out there. Um, he calls it Rattlesnake Rants for a reason, and I had to ask him about that. Now, Steve is also an author and has been writing autobiographies with Cher Ross from Vixen. Most recently, Ron Young of Little Caesar, which should be out by Christmas. And he's working on one with Pete Evick from the Brett Michaels Band, which I'm really looking forward to. I want to talk to Steve about all this and more next. It's the Rock and Roll Are you at the ranch right now? Yeah. Now, I got to ask you about the ranch because you've posted a lot of stuff about it since you bought it. If anybody that follows you on social media would see your, you know, what you post about the ranch and you named it Rattlesnake Ranch for a reason. Yeah. It just blows my mind all the stuff that you've been posting. What did you know that going into that place that that's how it was, all those snakes? <laughs> <laughs> all those snakes might be a little overstated because Whenever I see one, I post it. So we've only seen four of them. But I will say the very first day we were on the property with our realtor, there was a rattlesnake curled up next to the small cabin. And it was a timber rattler. I am not a snake guy at all. I think I would have left right away. Was there any, uh, I mean, what did the wife say? Uh, she, it, it's interesting. I, are we recording now, Joe? Are we on? Oh, yeah, we're going. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I, I like interesting things. And that's why I do my show, because I'm interested in what people do for a living. But uh, we've got deers and armadillos. And I say deers on purpose because it drives my ants crazy. But uh, we've got snakes and we've got uh, coyotes. And it's I, I like it. I find it to be a challenge, but also entertaining to just get to know the animals and their rhythms and what they do and how they do it. And all of the deer have different personalities. And right now we're in something called the rut, which means it's right. banging time for the oh, deer. No. <laughs> so the bucks are all out chasing the does around and the does are running away and trying to figure out which buck is worthy of her. And it's uh, <laughs> it's interesting. So, yeah, the snakes are just part of what, in a twisted way, I find to be charming about really? the property. 
Really? You haven't had any in the cabin yet, I hope. Nope, not yet. <laughs> I, they're pretty timid. I don't think they would come into the cabin. We've had one kind of close. That uh -huh. It was up by the garage, and uh, that's about as close as they've come. There is a place where they uh, – we've seen most of them in the same place, so I kind of okay. know where most of them hang out. So you stay away from that area? No, not at all. <laughs> you go we, there more. Uh, we keep the boots on when we're around there. When the grass gets too high, it gets a little more dangerous. But we keep the grass mowed on purpose to keep the snakes back. And mm. that also keeps the field mice back. So that's the snake's food source. So they, uh, with the mice back in the woods, the snakes stay back in the woods. Yeah, yeah. Man, you're a brave man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but that's completely unrelated, Joe. <laughs> Oh man. So, okay. So you, you are still in Tennessee, right? Yes. Okay. And you have a lot of property now. So have you always wanted to have something like that and get away from the neighborhoods or what led you out there? No, we, um, we wanted to get out of a mortgage. So we wanted to sell our house and then pay cash for something. And we wanted a little bit of land. And then, and you know how it is, man, you go looking for a car and you think I can spend 15 grand. Yeah. And then you see one for 19 and you're like, all right, we can do 19. And then you see one for 24 and you're like, well, that's not that much different from 19. Yeah. Anyway, by the time all is said and done, you've bought a $32,000 new car with all the bells and whistles that you've ever wanted. So we started off just looking for a gentleman's farm, like five acres somewhere out in the country. We did want to get away from the city. And then I put a deposit down on a 25 acre parcel of land that didn't have any dwellings on it. And we started, we, we kept looking. We, we were able to hold that for a month with the deposit. And then we, I don't even know if I remember how we happened upon this place, but we, we've kept track and literally every person that has come up the driveway has made a comment on how incredible the land and the landscape is. Yeah. And, uh, the first time we came up the driveway with our realtor, I remember, I don't know if I can swear on your show, Joe, or not, but we got out of the car, he got out of his truck, and I went, holy, and his two <laughs> little girls were in the back seat, and I felt so bad about that, but <laughs> man, it's just, uh, it's quite spectacular here. So yeah. we didn't start off looking for this big of a chunk, but when we saw this place, it's been a wreck and a disaster to try to rebuild. We figure it's about a two-year project, and we're a year in. So mm -hmm. it's going slow, but it's um, it's gratifying because sure. with everything we reclaim from the earth, the uh, the guy who owned it before us went to prison three years ago, and everything went fallow. Like uh, he still had food on the table when the marshals came and got him. Oh, so we had to rip everything out of the cabin. This is not rock roll or coffee, but uh, this is That's okay. like uh, all the cabinets had to get ripped out because there were mice living in here for three years. There were uh, the, all of the weeds were chest high. Like we we've had to reclaim all of that earth and get some of the trees pared back. So between yeah. <clears throat> trying to rebuild the cabins and trying to get the land back in shape. It's been uh, it's been a lot of work. Yeah, well, that's awesome, man. I, I mean, I've enjoyed watching the process from what I've seen. Well, thank you, Joe. I <laughs> yeah, appreciate it's looking you watching. good. Looking good out there, man. So let's talk a little bit about, um, now, you, I wanted to have you on the show because I found The Commute, which is your podcast, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh, really enjoyed it. 
You're very entertaining. Uh, I think it, your show, I love the way you talk to people with interesting jobs and, and then, but you also talk to the rock stars. I did during COVID, uh, neither them nor me had anything to do. So it made it, and you know this too, because mm -hmm. I bet you tapped into the advantage that we had also. Sure. I've seen uh, your list of guests is actually more impressive than mine. You have some guests that I think, how the hell did he get that guy? Like I've been trying to get that guy and he's been on Sibelius show, but uh, <laughs> damn it. I know, I know. I, and he's got the tats that I don't have. That's what makes <laughs> that Joe so much more attractive. But uh, I did Music Monday, so I did a rock star from. You're, uh, I think you're a couple years older than I am, Joe. So we're from the same era. So I've had uh, every Monday for almost two years. I had rock a rock star on Monday, and then a person with a normal, interesting job on Thursday. The rock stars have. Uh, petered out not only because they've been on the road but also because i just haven't had time to pursue them sure. it takes a lot of work i don't think people realize how much work you put into getting this show produced every week right because you've got to get in touch with the the uh, musicians you've got to the, you've got to get them to talk back to you and then once that's made then you've got to schedule and you've got to get it mastered and record like there's a lot that goes into producing one of these every week so my hat's off to you for the amount of work you've put in and the network you've created just to be able thanks, to get man. a consistent stream of really good guests yeah well thanks man i appreciate it like you said it is a lot of work um but how do you find, like the rock stars is one thing, finding them. I mean, but how do you find all these people with these interesting jobs? <laughs> that seems <laughs> like it'd be a little more difficult. Well, I've been doing the show for over six years now. So it's I've got sort of a pattern that I fall into with people. And I, it's literally people I meet at the airport. Like, uh, I'm a talker. Like, I'm sure you yeah. probably are. So I, if you're a talker, it doesn't take much to get into a conversation with someone. And invariably, especially among dudes, like, what do you do for a living is a very standard question that comes up, right? Sure. And if it's something interesting, I'll just invite them on the show. And I probably bat little north of 50 50 with getting people to say yeah that'll be interesting yeah. so it's people i know people from my home in wisconsin people i know from around here in town people i know on social media you've got a good following and if you just kind of scroll through the bios people a lot of times will put what they do for a living and i think some of them are pretty cool other times i'll put a call out and say um what did i just get recently Man, I can't remember. I'm uh, feeling under the gun here. But I'll say like, hey, does anybody know uh, someone who works on a road crew? Like, I'm curious. Why, how do you do a freeway? Like, uh, how do you do a highway? Like, I'm just curious about that stuff. And uh, someone will know someone who knows someone. And they're like, hey, talk to this guy. And then I'll reach out to that guy. And sometimes, most of the time, they'll say, yeah. That They always say, what I do is boring. And I always say back, everybody says that they're always wrong. Right, right. Well, right. Because, I mean, whatever you do, you've done it for so long or it's just second nature to you. So it seems boring. I've got coyotes howling outside my window. Do you? I don't know if the mics are going to pick it up. I cracked the window open here. But yeah, hopefully we'll get some. I don't, I don't hear them, but hopefully we'll get them. No, they're pretty active right now. <laughs> I don't know when coyotes mate, like if they, they have a season or if they're like humans, they just do it when they're in the right, mood. Right. But uh, they're, they're out and they're yipping tonight. That's awesome. Well, stay safe out there. <laughs> <laughs> do people 
really mean it when they say that, Joe? Do they care one way or the other? Do, or is that just a I do. Signal? I do care about you, Steve. I do care. I do don't you? want to see coyotes take over the cabin. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and the speaking of, and uh, I know you said uh, you're talking about the rock stars and how we uh, we sort of blaze a trail to get to. And once you get a few, it's easier to get the next few. So mm. I remember the first one I got, and I'm sure you've had him on several times. I've had him on three times because he's a talker too. But Ace Von Johnson from uh, at the time Faster Pussycat, right now L.A. Guns and Neon Coven. But uh, he was my first one. Actually, my first one was a guy from Saigon Kick, just because I, I know him personally, and he was—he did me a favor to come on the show. But the uh, when I got Aceman Johnson, I was able to kind of parlay that into, "Hey, I got this guy. How about you?" And then it just mm -hmm. kind of snowballed from there. And uh, when COVID hit, too. I made most of my living uh, as a public speaker. So I'd go all over the U.S. and Canada doing talks. And that came to a screeching halt. I tell people it, mm. it hit the brakes so fast, I almost went through the windshield. And I needed another revenue stream. And so because I live in Nashville, so many of these guys from our era, Joe, live in Nashville and the surrounding right. area. So I've become like friends. Right? Like Ace and I, we've gone out to lunch several times. Like we had a monthly meeting for a while where we go out and complain about the kids nowadays, <laughs> which he is one. But uh, I was friends with <laughs> Tesla's drummer, Troy Lucetta. Troy, yeah. And I call. I, he's been on your show, I've seen yep. too. But I mm -hmm. called him and I said, hey, you ever think about writing an autobiography? And he said, yeah, I'm actually in talks with a guy right now, and he wants X number of dollars. And I said, well, talk to me about it because I'm local and uh, we can get together. And uh, you know me, like I was at a 4th of July party at his house. We were introduced through a mutual friend, so I don't want okay. to make this seem like I'm an impressive musician like you, Joe. <laughs> talk about that, too, in a little bit. But uh, over time, Troy kind of I, I sort of won the contract, if that makes sense. Sure. And uh, he came to my office for two hour chunks over the course of a month or two. And we got the book hammered out. And then things started going sideways with Tesla. And he said, we, we got to hold off on this book. Uh -oh. And uh, I want to make sure that uh, I clear all of what's happening with Tesla, because I'm going to do some rewrites and tell the truth this time. Mm. so but that book again it's just like doing the show that book led to another led to another led to another and i'm on book number well i've, I've done eight of them now ghost writing autobiographies with rock stars and uh, i've got a ninth one lined up and there's three guys that are kind of hovering that said yeah i want to do it but not yet one is in a lawsuit with his former band so that'll be an interesting one yeah and uh but it's uh that's been a really cool complete left turn that I didn't expect. And uh, just getting to know the inside of these guys' lives and the music industry and everything that goes into being successful and then being not, or being successful and then dropping down a notch and trying mm -hmm. to keep legging it out and make a little money, scratch by a living for the rest of your life. A lot of these guys are in their 60s now. Yeah. And uh, they're still scraping it out, getting out there on the road and killing it. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because um, I was going to ask you about the writing and stuff, and that's perfect that you just said how you got into it. Now, when you get somebody that's going to do a book, I mean, what is that process? You just sit and just talk to them and ask them questions and record it? I mean, how does it work to get that information <laughs> out of them and then onto paper? 
You know, you and I were talking before we hit record here about how both of us have the same style when we interview somebody, which is it's not an interview. It's a conversation. And so most of them have said, so what do we do? Like you ask me questions. okay?" And I literally, Joe, with every single one of them, I ask one question on minute one of day one and everything else is just them talking. Because once you shake a branch, every story that's associated with that branch starts popping into their head like popcorn. And I'll just ask them, like, tell me about your earliest memory. What was it like growing up? And they are off to the races. And the the way they think tends to be chronological because one thing leads to another. So, yeah, I grew up then in high school. I had this band and then these guys left and I was looking for a band and I moved to L.A. and, and all of this. And they tell me and once in a while they'll have to circle back and say, I forgot to tell you about this guy. And then we'll we'll patch that in. But, hmm. yes, to answer your question directly, the nuts and bolts of it, the mechanics are uh if they're in town, they'll come into my office and we'll have a face to face and I record everything. Right. And then uh, I just go back and I write 2000 words a day, which is about five pages. And uh, the average book is 80,000 words. Some have been north of that by a little bit. So I can write a book in about a month and a half if I keep getting wow. content from them. Right. So I guess that's up to them, though, to provide that content and continue it. To get they have two roles, and uh, I hate when things are out of my control because when I'm assigned something, it gets done quickly and accurately. And when I push it to someone else and say, I need you to do this before I can do that, it languishes. And it's like, God, will you just do your part? <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so the rock star, their job is one, just provide me that content. And, and, and listen, everybody's busy. I understand. So yeah. if they're on the road or something, they want to be focused on what they're doing. But I just need those phone calls. Can we do one hour? Can we do a half hour? After I get the manuscript hammered out, what they have to do then, and this this gets hard for interesting reasons, but they have to go through it, read the whole manuscript, and and do a content edit. Yeah, this is going to hurt that person's feelings. Take it out. That mm-hmm. kind of thing. Or, nah, you got this wrong. I wasn't in Cleveland that night. I was in Philadelphia. Like those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But, man, I don't know how much a lot of these folks read, Joe, but it seems to be a daunting task that they want to put off as long as possible. That's always the part where everything stalls. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. I bet. That's amazing. Have you you always wanted to be a writer? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I've written four novels and I... I've always I've written for the newspaper here in town a couple of different times. So I I have a knack for it. And uh, it's interesting to me. And it's something I can do on my own time. So I, mm-hmm. I get up at <laughs> I get up at either 1 a.m. or 3 a.m. to do two hours of writing. And then uh, I can shower and go into my regular job. But I like doing it in the middle of the night when it's dark and everything is quiet. Everyone's in bed. The coyotes aren't yipping. Like, uh, I'm one of the night breed. Yeah. yeah. They're like, Steve's up. We're out of here. (laughs) (laughs) That crazy dude. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, so. Your day job, you mentioned your day job. So you're a psychologist, correct? correct? Yeah, I'm a shrink. A shrink. Okay. So, in which, by the way, I didn't mean to cut you off, Joe. I'll get to you. But that also 
in a in a weird way that helps sell me as a writer to the artists because for a lot of them they're like yeah i got all this all this crap in my head i'll bet you can make sense of it or it can be therapeutic it really can be therapeutic for them to talk through some of this stuff because when uh, for example the book that we'll have out for christmas is uh, by ron have you had ron young on your show for little ron caesar He's a talker too. You got to get him on the Does show. Okay. But his book is coming out, and uh, Little Caesar got screwed so hard by and Ron Young specifically by David Geffen. That story is phenomenal, and it's in the book. But the point I'm trying to make is, for a lot of these folks, when grunge hit, like uh, their career hit a brick wall, and it was kind of traumatic for them because they were sort of launched into this. I don't know what I'm going to do to stay uh, solvent, to keep making mm. money, to do what I love to do. And it's like when an athlete retires, like for a lot of these uh, guys, and I've had uh, Cher Ross from Vixen. I've written her book, too. And I'm in the process of writing one with Brit Lightning. But uh, Brit is too young. She's of the newer generation. But Cher and Vixen... But what was I about to say? Oh, guys and gals. The point is that for a lot of them, there was some trauma involved that they've never really worked through. And some of them have drug uh, issues. Um, wrote a book with Brian Forsythe from Kicks, talking about his heroin addiction. Troy Lucetta's had a cocaine addiction. Ron Young, bad tar heroin addiction. And uh, just kind of talking through that with another person. It's, it's sort of like uh, going to confession a little bit. It feels sure. very intimate, even though it's in the book. But so that <laughs> I know I've come all the way around the block to get to the neighbor's house here. But me being a psychologist, I think, is attractive to a lot of them to just be able to talk about this stuff with somebody. Some of the stuff they've never talked about with anybody before. And I consider that quite an honor. That's awesome. Um, do you have to pry information out of some of them? No. Or, no. I'll ask follow up questions like. Mm -hmm. Uh, if they tell me something and they're sort of glossing over it, I, I, I listen like a fan and because I am a fan of yeah, all of these folks. Yeah. And I, it's so surreal, Joe. And I know you've been in the business and you've been at a high level like you like you knew Brian Johnson when you were a freaking kid, man, from ACDC. <laughs> so to the, to you, this is like a no brainer. But to me, these are the people I admired when I was in my teens and twenties. Like I went and saw these people on stage and they were heroes to me, like mm -hmm. rock gods. Right. And so for me, it's so uh, just surreal to have the inside track and to ask questions like a fan, because I am curious about this stuff. What yeah. happened when you were backstage with Gene Simmons? And then they'll blow through the story and I'll be like, no, 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 no wait, 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 what happened? Yeah, yeah. So we'll kind of go back and flesh it out a little bit. Okay, okay. Talk about, um, let's get back to your um, becoming a psychologist a little bit. Now, when you were a kid, you grew up in, I want to say it was Wisconsin. You pronounce it like someone who's not from there, but I yes. Not. <laughs> how, how is it pronounced? You said Wisconsin, West like Wesley. Wesley. Yeah, yeah. It's Wisconsin. And if you're from there, you need a little more nasal Wisconsin. Wis. And Wis, Milwaukee like has a W in it, Milwaukee. Interesting. So anyway, back to <laughs> growing up there. <laughs> yeah. We'll um, edit that in post, Joe. <laughs> um, so you grew up there and... How did you, were your parents into psychology or, I mean, how did you find your interest in that? Because I used to be a psych tech when I was in college, a psychiatric technician. And uh, 
And it's it was, not a fun job. Well, it was fun. I mean, back then when you're in your early twenties and you know, it, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking to all the people. Um, I mean, there's stories you, I'm sure, you know, the stories that I could tell right now, but, um, I mean, how did you get into it? I got into it because it was a job at the time while I was going to college. I got into it because, man, this is going to sound contrite and smug, but I'm dead serious. I got into it because I needed to get into some kind of major that a monkey with a checkbook could get through. That uh, I, I'd uh, gotten kicked out of Marquette University for reasons that uh, I find a bit dubious at best. Me and the Jesuits, we had a little disagreement over my long-term potential as a college <laughs> student. And so I was kind of lost in trying to figure out what I was going to do. And uh, I moved in with a buddy of mine at a different school, and he was a psych uh, in the psych program. And I thought, okay, well, I suppose this is easy enough. I don't know anything about it, but what the heck? And uh, it took... It did its job. I graduated, but you can't, as you probably know, because you worked as a psych tech, you can't get a job that pays career kind of money mm -hmm. with a bachelor's degree. So the same buddy who uh, was in the psych program was now, he was a year ahead of me, and he was in the master's program of counseling. And the other thing that was happening simultaneous to that is my girlfriend at the time was a year behind me. And so I didn't want to leave town quite yet. I was waiting for her. I needed something to do. And so it was the same attitude, Joe. I figured, well, hell, anybody can get through this. How hard can this be? So I got into the counseling program. And then I got a job as uh, a child therapist because I guess I'm I, like arrested development. I'm the poster child. And so I started doing that. And my roommate at the time, different guy, he misread a job posting and it changed my the, the trajectory of my life because he came home one day to our apartment and he said, hey, dude, there's a posting at uh, the Department of Human Services. They're looking for a psychologist. They're going to pay 90 grand a year. And I was like, wow, this is like 1989, right? right. Like 90,000 a year. I think in today's dollars, it's worth like 4.2 million. So I'm wow. like, well, hell, I can get a psychologist degree. How hard can it be to get a PhD in this stuff? Like it's not real science. <laughs> so I applied uh, all over the place and I ended up going to the University of Oklahoma. And I remember the interview. There were like 100 people interviewing for six slots. And Joe, it never occurred to me that I wasn't going to get one of those slots and I, I probably came off as a pompous dick to everyone else that was interviewing, but it really never occurred to me. I'd never failed at anything, Yeah. which uh, that came later in life. Actually, I did fail. I got kicked out of Marquette. That was a dark day <laughs> for me. But what the happens? point is, I got in Oklahoma and I graduated. And then years later, I realized, you know, uh, my roommate misread the sign. They were looking for a psychiatrist for 90 grand a year. And people, that's not a distinction mm -hmm. most people understand. A psychiatrist is an MD. They can mm -hmm. prescribe medication and uh, they make a boatload of money. Psychologists are a PhD and we die poor and bitter. <laughs> but you never thought of going further? I, I went as far as I could go. The oh, that's PhD as far as you can go? terminal degree, yeah. Okay, okay. All right. Well, now you have your own practice and you've had that for a long time. So that's pretty successful. I have. And I see men 
so I've uh, I saw kids for a lot of years, kids and teenagers, and uh, my partner died, mm. and uh, he was just a kid, Joe. I, it's mm. weird. he was forty six when he died of cancer, oh, and so I thought I can't run a kid and teenager <laughs> practice by myself. Like there's too many moving parts when you work with kids. So I moved offices. We were on Music Row downtown. We actually had some pretty high-level country music people as clients, too. It's been a, a strange ride for me. I'm yeah. in my mid-50s now, and I think, boy, I don't think I could have predicted this when I was in my 20s. Right. But uh, I just I started seeing all kinds of clients, and then I figured out I like seeing dudes. Like uh, Men don't like going to therapy. They don't like therapists. But I'm the guy that someone who won't talk to anybody will talk to, and that has been my bread and butter. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're very easy to talk to. You're very well. Pleasant. You've only known me for a half an hour, Joe. Come on, I, and it's been it's been a breeze. <laughs> that's because I keep cutting you off and hijacking the conversation. No, no, it's all about you, though, right now. So that's good. Oh, no, go on. That's awesome, man. So um, now, with the back to the podcasting, you have the commute, but you also have a few other ones. I think you have. Um, Wrong and Wronger. I was listening to some of those today. You're still doing that because I saw a new post. Um, yeah. I, In fact, there was a time there where I did five podcasts and a radio show every ooh, week. Man, yeah. How, it got to be a little much. But uh, right now I'm just doing three pod. Well, I did the commute twice a week. So that was two of them. I did Music Mondays and Normie Thursdays. But yeah, Wrong and Wronger with uh, the Exploding Unicorn. If any of you follow him on Twitter, uh, he's... Uh, He's actually quite a bit more normal in real life. <laughs> and then we also do one called 10 Minutes to Save Your Marriage every week, where listeners write in relationship questions. So you get a shrink, that's me, and a comedian, that's him. And we, in 10 minutes, answer people's relationship questions. And I used to do Keto Rocks with Brian Forsyth from Kicks and a mm -hmm. guy named Jim Hobbs that they talk about uh, the keto lifestyle. And uh, yeah carnivore diet that kind of stuff and then uh, i also did a, a show called uh, <laughs> the pantheon on guitar god radio every week which was basically i repackaged my interviews from the commute and then did a different intro and outro to them but it was the same conversation yeah okay yeah. i did okay. some like uh, i was able to, i was a little more free to do like up-and-comer kind of current bands so it wasn't just uh, those old stodgy rockers from the 80s, Joe. Yeah. You, you know a couple of those guys. Yeah, a few So I interviewed a few bands that uh, are kind of on the edge doing rock and roll. There's not a lot of metal and rock being produced at like a commercial level now. It's hard to find in the U.S. It's hard to find bands. A lot of them are European. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so with, with us, both of us around the same age, I mean, you grew up with all the hair metal and the and those bands <clears throat> those bands those yes. bands yeah yeah so were you a rocker yourself i mean did you ever play an instrument or anything no my dad was in a band that uh, had a top i think they did top 30 back then but they had a top 30 hit back in 1961 he was in a band called the chevrons so he okay. was a guitar player and he went into a, a covers band that played weddings until probably 10 years, maybe 15 years ago, they finally hung it up. So I was around music my whole life because I would go and watch my dad play and eat free wedding cake and uh, <laughs> dance. And live music to me was life, man. Yeah. When weddings started to go 
the way of disc jockey or DJs, I guess they don't spin discs necessarily, but man, that was so sad to me. Like, uh, I, I, I said, I will never have a DJ at my wedding. Like we're getting a live band and it's in Nashville. You can't swing a dead cat without finding a band, but there's a lot of places in the country where live music is, there's a dearth, like it's hard to find mm-hmm. to just to book a wedding band, someone to do covers and rock and roll or yeah. some R and B all the old standards for weddings. Right. Yeah. Where I'm at, I'm in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and it, there's not a lot of music around here that I found anyway. We so have, you stand out when you go to the grocery store, don't you? With the with the tattoos. Yeah. Those tattoos help me at the grocery store as well. The tats <laughs> and the hair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the hair, not so much anymore. But yeah. At least you have hair, Joe. <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, rock music around here is uh, it's not too bad. Uh, you, do you get a chance to get out? where you are since there is so many bands and clubs and you go see live music still? No, not anymore. Um, if one of my friends blows through town, we'll go see them. But, uh, man, downtown is such a mess. It's, uh, just crowded. Nashville has probably in the last seven or eight years exploded to the point that locals dislike it, but it's the epicenter. It's the bachelor party center of the bachelorette party center of the universe so if you want to listen to drunk 20 something screaming and dressing like they think we dress here in nashville which is like cut off jean shorts cowboy boots and a cowboy hat i don't know where they get that idea but (laughs) every one of them comes dressed like that but it's clearly you're not dressed like that no not today today i'm dressed like a hobo because (laughs) uh as uh what the listeners don't know is you and I were having some technical issues. I'm going to spread it out and bring you into this too, Joe. It was all me. I was having issues and I I was out of the shower and Joe was tapping his watch. And I'm like, I got to get this straightened out. So no, I'm dressed. uh, I'm dressed like a bum. You're dressed perfect for the show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So you mentioned that you have a few books out um, and you've got a few coming up. Now I know you have some coming up with a buddy of mine, Pete. Evic. Oh, right. is he a buddy of yours? Yeah, yeah, pizza buddy. Love I call him a buddy. Evic. Yeah. Um, and then I heard you mention there was there was some other ones that you mentioned. I don't know which ones you're doing that you haven't mentioned. I'm just going off the one what I've heard you talk about. Oh, um, yeah. Was- so Pete's Ron Young's book from Little Caesar. His book will. God help me, Joe. We are going to get this thing out for the Christmas season if it kills me. It is so close to being done. But uh, Pete, we have a mutual friend that calls him Petey Vic. <laughs> but uh, Pete Evick, his book should be next up. He's, uh, if you're listening, Pete, he's <laughs> working on his at working on his edits right now. So okay. I am in a holding pattern waiting for him. That dude is the busiest guy in showbiz. Isn't Holy he? cow, is he busy? Yeah. He was nice enough, though, for my wife and my anniversary this year. He took us to uh he didn't take us he let us come meet brett michaels at a show awesome and uh so we hung out backstage all day and that was super awesome pete is one of the nicest guys in rock and roll in addition to being one of the busiest guys but his should be next up and i've uh we're close on one uh one of the original members of the guess who which uh you're old enough to remember them Mm -hmm. probably none of your listeners are (laughs) but uh, american yeah. The guess mm-hmm. who only one guy has been in the band since day one. 
And he's been in the band. Figure this out. You're a musician. He has been in the Guess Who for 60 years. 60 years. 60 years. Wow. So his book, he's had some health problems recently, and uh, I need him to get better so we can finish because we're pretty close too. But mm. if you're in a band 60 years, you're no spring chicken. So he's he's fighting mm. it, and uh, we'll get that thing done and out. And man, that's quite a ride too, a 60-year career. That's got to be a big book. <laughs> it's really not, believe it or not. No. But there's... Uh, his book is different than Randy Bachman's or um, Burton Cummings. <laughs> He's got a little different point of view on what happened to the Guess Who and why they imploded, basically, and broke up at, almost at the peak of their power. Like the mm. Guess Who was still commercially viable. And uh, anyway, you can read all about it in his book. I will. So when these, who publishes these books? Like, do you put them out or do you have a company? Yeah, that... I started a publishing company, too. <laughs> okay <laughs> because i don't have enough Might to do well. Joe. you understand <laughs> i was thinking ah what can i do in the four minutes i have free this month right right so there's uh with uh i, I mentioned Cher ross from vixen she actually we we got her two separate publishing deals because she's a unicorn vixen is the only girl band that went platinum from the sunset strip era if uh, if I laid that out correctly, was there so, more girl bands? She what? Was there more girl bands? Uh, <laughs> man, I I can't name. I don't them. know. <laughs> anyway, few, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> that's a great. Well, that sort of is the point, right? That was a very male dominated genre industry, mm -hmm. right? So anyway. Um, Neither of the publishing deals came close to what we could make by self-publishing the book. Mm. And so I think using that, she was one of my earlier books, using that as a template, I thought, unless I'm writing Axel Rose's book and he'll get a million dollar advance, I don't even know if he's written a book, but he'll he'll easily yeah. get a million bucks up front from Simon and Schuster or whoever he decides to go with. All of my people will get maybe five grand up front and never recoup. And I'm like, mm -hmm. eh, we can do a lot better than that. Just self-publishing and using your platform. All mm -hmm. of these rock stars have audiences. Cher uh, is sure. no longer touring with Vixen, but she's got a social media platform. Um, Troy negotiated in his leaving Tesla that his book will be promoted on their website and all of their platforms. Awesome. So the, the point is that it doesn't pay for people at my level. <laughs> that sounded condescending. I didn't mean it to be. <laughs> but these aren't Axl Rose or Mick Jagger or John Bon Jovi. Like uh, they're in Kicks. They're in Vixen. Like uh, I, I can do a lot better for them than a publishing deal could from a standard publisher. Yeah. I guess that's almost the same as music, though, in a way, in that regards as distribution and you know, yeah, but man, I tell you what, I see they there is so much hustle that they have to do just to keep pushing the new music. I know Autograph just came out with a new album or a new CD, and uh, Simon Daniels is doing the circuit of all, all of us guys. Like, mm -hmm. we'll get a piece of them. I remember um, Bill Leverty from Firehouse when he put out his single, or I think he put out a full album or an EP, but man, he yeah. was posting every day, every yeah. day, every day. And I think, God, that is so much work. 
And I remember talking, I feel like, uh, watch your feet, I'm dropping names here. But I was talking to Jason Beeler about when he and uh, Jeff Scott Soto put out stuff, and Jason has put out stuff with the Von Bielski Orchestra. And I said to him, he was on Eddie Trunk, and I called him, and I said, how did that work? Like, uh, uh, one minute of backstory, and I'll finish that sentence. Mm -hmm. When I was uh, shopping Troy, book around we met with a publisher and the first thing out of his mouth was can you get on eddie trunk so really? eddie trunk and trunk nation apparently has a pretty good audience base so i called jason and i said you just promoted your album on eddie trunk did it work like did you get did, have you noticed a spike and his answer was nah man no one wants to buy music or books anymore these days like nobody wants to pay for it ostensibly sure. Sure. so it sounds like even the days of promotion on big shows and i don't even know if going on rogan moves as much product mm -hmm. as you hope it does anymore but uh i can't remember your original question but uh i can't yeah, i can't remember your original question the artist you said uh, music is sort of like publishing. oh yeah it was similar they yeah. have to hustle mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. man they hustle and i i don't know how much return they get for that hustle but i know i always i always feel bad for them because i'm mm. like dude that is so much work that's a tough industry really is and it's a labor of love the problem is with our generation of rockers like it's Brett Michaels, when he goes out on his own, he's put out four or five albums solo. He doesn't sing a single song off of any of them. He sings yeah. Poison songs. That's what, that's what the fans want to hear. So that's what Pete Evick plays, is Poison songs when he's on the road with Brett. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you put out a new album, it's almost a vanity project. You'll probably recoup if you do it cheap, that enough people will buy it. But for the most part, people want to hear the standards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. Where can people get these books? Are these all still available? Like the Where ones you've are, already done? I've, Ron Young's book, God Help Me, Joe, will be out by Christmas. <laughs> It'll be on Amazon. The other rock star book that I've got out is with Sandy Gennaro, who was in Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. He was uh, in Cindy Lauper's band. He was also in Bo Diddley's band when Bo passed away. Like he played oh, Bo wow. Diddley's very last show with him. He's played with Pat Travers. He's played with the Monkees. But uh, we've got a book out called Beat the Odds, and uh, that can be found on Amazon. The audio book dropped. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday. The audio book dropped Tuesday, but it's not in anybody's uh library it, it nobody has it in stock yet and according okay. to our distributor it can take up to 30 days for the audio books to show up in all of the audio platforms all of the sellers so gotcha. sandy Gennaro is the one that i've got out and i'll probably have three maybe four more out in 2023 and that's not including ron young's who will be out by christmas awesome awesome and then people if they want to hear your podcast the commute is audio only right there's no video there right it okay. makes it easier. And my goal there was for people to, and it started without rock star, just normal people. Like they sure. don't want to do this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they have children, Joe, my yeah. God. So I'm surprised, even with the rock I'm surprised star, mine haven't barged in yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, we take it as it comes, man. Yeah. But even with the rock stars, like uh, they want to get duded up and pretty and then for all the uh, video ones. And for me, it's simple. They can be sitting in the back of a tour bus and just record with me. I want to make it as easy as possible for people to be on the show. I see. I see. Yeah, this this show here actually started audio only. 
<clears throat> and then I, I don't know why I moved it into video. Maybe I thought. Yeah, it you do. Why'd you move it into video? I don't know. I'm curious. Maybe I, I might've thought it might've been fun. I don't know. Has it's it a lot more work. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as is evidenced by tonight with you and me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but, and then, uh, so wrong and wronger is on YouTube because I've watched those. Wrong and and what about, what about 10 minutes to save your marriage? 10 minutes is an audio only. And so it's on uh, all the platforms that audio podcasts are on. Sure. That one got picked up by iHeartRadio. So we were kind of happy about that. If you have the iHeartRadio app, you can find us on that one. Okay. Okay. Awesome, Steve. I appreciate you taking the time. I know we've been trying to get this arranged for a while, and I'm glad we finally did it. You're a busy man, you and I'm a man who goes to bed early. That's not a good combination. So thank right. you for...